This has been quite a week, hadn't it? It's been horrible. Just kind of watching our nation respond from coast to coast after the senseless loss of George Floyd in Minneapolis on Memorial Day. And, and you see the, the violent and destructive protests that have broken out and they have forced our governors to step in and call in the National Guard. And, and I shared a little bit about this on Wednesday night when Robin and I got to have a conversation. This is just a hot mess. And, and when I saw the video for the first time, there, there were three thoughts that came to mind. The, the first was, was George Floyd and his family, obviously, in the black community that's hurting. And just what they must be feeling as they watch this. But my second thought was for our police community. The 800,000 officers across this nation that do it right and do it the right way. How the actions of a few make their job that much more difficult and that much more dangerous. And so I thank our officers that go out, that put on their uniform and put on their thing to protect and keep us safe. But my, my final thought was if there's been any progress made in racial relations in this nation, if, if, if the ball has been pushed uphill, if we've taken steps forward, boy, it appears that ball has rolled right back down and we're at square one. We've definitely taken several steps back. And so as, as Christians, sometimes we, we feel powerless. Well, what can we do? And, and so our question for the morning is this. What should be our response? Is it just to sit back and watch news and say, wow, look at what's going on? Is it to, to kind of sermonize about it? What should be our response as believers in Jesus Christ? And there are some that would suggest we're not interested in listening to what Christians think about this. And we're certainly not interested in what the Bible has to say about racial relationships and what's going on in our country because of one verse. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So my, my question for you this morning is, what was going on in your heart and in your mind as I read this very difficult passage? See, for, for a lot of us, uh, when we hear Paul's words here, we immediately, our, our mind is linked to a whole series of images. It is linked to a series of stories about a very dark time. In fact, the darkest chapter in the history of this great land. It's the story of Atlantic slave trade into Britain and then on to the American colonies. It's a story of opportunity and emerging wealth and great riches that came from this land, but it came to a select group of people and on the backs of African-American slaves, kidnapped from their homeland for the benefit of others. You know, this is... A tragic story in our head. 
And, and we read Paul's words to the churches in and around Ephesus, and we're like, no, Paul, don't you know where this is going to lead? Paul, can, can you not change this up? Can you not release all slaves? Can you not call for the emancipation to happen right now? For you and I to respond to this crisis that's before us, we really have got to go beyond a Twitter reaction to Scripture and, and look and understand what Paul's intentions were. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. As we wrap up this, this very powerful book, as Paul portrays what it looks like to embody the gospel. And in, in this new life that he's describing as we move from our old life into this new humanity. And because of our sin, and because we've separated ourselves from our Heavenly Father, we find ourselves in death. We're walking dead. We live a zombie-like experience, but only through the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. Paul is like, do you understand what's before you? Do you know the gift that God has given? Do you understand the new life, the new humanity that's being offered to you right now? How are we going to live into that? And by the way, you Gentiles, God set an extra plate. You Greeks, you Romans, there's two more plates. Come on. Come join the table. You've been welcomed. You've been offered a seat the meal, the feast is laid before you as well as not just the Jews. Chapter 5, Paul's, Paul lays out the reason for this change that's going to happen in our lives. And it's because the selfless love of Jesus that we see it starts coming in and it changes each and every one of our relationships and suddenly our new culture that we're creating within the church is all based on mutual submission we submit ourselves to each other as Christ has submitted himself to his heavenly father Ephesians 5 and verse 21 and, and so from here, Paul translates this grand idea and this meta-narrative and this ongoing story. is like, okay, it's Monday morning. How is this going to change your relationships? How are you going to live differently in light of what Jesus has done for you? How is this going to play out within the Greco-Roman households that you're leading? See, the majority of the houses that would have been coming to church to hear this message, they were aligned to the instructions given in a powerful book written by Aristotle called Politics, written about 300 years before. And in this, here's what Aristotle had to say. He said the family, you need to understand how important this is, the family is the basic building block of the city-state. And he said, if you can learn to find harmony within the family, there will be harmony within the city-state, within the empire. All will be made well if we have strong families and we have strong households and strong household leaders. And for that to happen, well, then wives and, and children and slaves, you all must be subjugated to the master, to the father. To the husband. And so in the Greco-Roman household, the husband was over the wife. The father was over the child. 
And the master was over the slave. Pulled us together. One person stood at the head of the household. And he ruled with an iron fist to bring about the harmony that was necessary for the city, state, the empire to thrive. That's what they walked into church that day. Before they read this letter, that's how the household was set up. I'm going to hit these first two quickly because we got a lot of work to do on this last one. So if you can imagine that all of life is, is a settled it's a settled lake. And then suddenly you pick up a giant boulder, and that's Jesus Christ, and you toss it into the center of the lake. It's suddenly going to bring about ripples that go out into all aspects of the life. We talked about this in our marriage series entitled The One, how that that ripple goes in and it becomes a gospel-infused marriage relationship that changes everything. So Paul starts with the wives. He says, this is what it means to live into this role, ladies. In, in light of the gospel, I, as you submit yourself to Jesus, allow yourself to come under the leadership of your husband. And so those that are sitting there this morning, they're like, that's right. Apparently this whole God thing is working out. Still fits within. Nothing's been knocked over in our household. Aristotle's giving a thumbs up on that. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. He, he goes on to husbands and he says, what does this relationship look like as you live into your new humanity under Jesus Christ? He said, because of the cross, you mutually Come under each other's love and care and respect. Paul even uses the phrase that you're going to cleanse your wife. He, he draws upon the analogy of the leadership and the headship of Jesus over his disciples. That on the final night he was with them, what did he do? He got down on his hands and knees and he washed their feet. He said, that's the submissive leadership that you have within your family a mutual love respect and care and it's beautiful but it's also subversive to the way society had been set up by Aristotle's writings oh Paul says because of Jesus your marriage is going to look different than the guy next door we're going to do things different he said it also flows into our parenting Here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. He's like, children, listen up. Don't know if you understood everything from chapters 1 through 3. There's a lot there, but this one's for you. He said, children, I want you to obey your parents. That's right. Right? In the Lord. This is right. It's the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. A commandment that comes with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. One is, what is he talking about? A, a commandment with the promise. In the Lord? Uh, when I submit and put myself under someone else's leadership, in, in this case, parents he said you're submitting yourself unto the Lord and by connection through Jesus Christ so 
what you're doing and the respect and the honor and, and, and the obeying, you're obeying Jesus. You're bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Well, well, Paul's also quoting from the Ten Commandments. He goes, you guys need to pay attention. Because this was the first one of the commandments that had like a bonus that was attached to it. That there was a blessing that was attached. If you guys do this, if you start living into this, God says you're going to be blessed. It says, the promise is, so it may go well with you and you live a long life. So is this kind of, what does this mean? Is it kind of like the old Bill Cosby line that talking with his son who's kind of a little bit rebellious, he's like, hey, I brought you in this world, I can take you out. Is, is that what he's saying? If you don't obey your parents, we're going to get the rocks out, boom. No, I, I think what he's saying is, boy, there is a promise and as you guys are heading into the promised land, you're ill-equipped to fight the battles around you. But don't worry, I'll go before you. But I want the family to operate in this way. Fathers, as you're submitting yourself to your heavenly Father and His will and, and allowing God to go before us, I want the people behind you, your children, to love and support and submit themselves to you so that your will is pointed towards the Father, not dealing with a rebellious child. So peace and well-being and flourishing will accompany your obedience to them. You know, when we act selfishly and we bring strife and, and, and boy, and we disconnect from our parents that's not helping anyone within the household. You're just making life more di difficult for yourself. So Paul says, well, honor your folks and honor your father. But as with the wives, Paul's not done with his disruptive instructions. He has a command for children as well. And as he has a command for children, he's also got one for the dads. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, he's like, uh, fathers... I got something for you as well. So I don't want you to exasperate, to destroy the morale of your children, to make it to where they can't follow you. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, here's what I want you to do. Dads, I want you to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And by the way, how you... Uh, parent them and how you act as a father is a reflection on your heavenly father you give them the first glimpse of God and how you are acting and how you parent so dad there's going to be mutual respect between the father and the child your new humanity in Jesus means that it's going to look different when you come home at the end of the day Here's some things that I'm going to encourage you not to do. I, I know you're under great pressure at work. I know there are some extenuating circumstances, but I don't want you to parent out of that frustration. I, I want you to be consistent because when you're inconsistent, kids are like going, I don't know how I'm supposed to act, and I certainly can't respect this guy. That first he tells me that's wrong, but then I do it the next day, and he's too tired to get off the couch to come and force what he just told me not to do. 
And, and then a week after that, I do the exact same thing that he didn't do anything on this day, and he blows up. And I'm like, I can't relate in here. Don't exasperate your kids by being inconsistent. Don't exasperate your kids by being arbitrary. You've had a bad day, and the, the kids are being kids and being a little bit loud, and what do you do? You banish everyone to the room. I want the whole house silent. Everyone go to your rooms. No, that's a selfish exercise of your authority. And your kids know it when you're pulling that. And finally, blindness. Realizing, you need to realize how important your words and actions are as our kids are growing and are forming and developing. Because your careless words impact how they see themselves for the rest of their life. It matters how we parent. It matters how we discipline. And it matters the emotions that we charge each situation for. So as you're living into Jesus Christ, parent out of that what Jesus has done for you. You ready for the last one? Let's hit this difficult passage. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. You know, for us to understand this teaching as it's presented, I'm just going to ask us for the remainder of our time, take off our cultural lens, take off what's happened this week, and just shelve that and say, can we tune in to what's happening in the first century Roman culture? Because slavery had some things that were similar, but in many ways, slavery then was very different. While the Atlantic slave trade was about one ethnic group, Africans, being captured and sold to others, Roman slavery was very different. If you were to walk into Rome and you would interact within the marketplace, there's a good chance between 30 to 50% of those that you're coming in contact with that you're interacting with in the marketplace are slaves of one kind or another. They're not isolated from, but in, in reality, they're part of almost every level of society. That's what's happened. They're integrated. Also, the origins of slavery were different. You know, some were prisoners of war. But most were what is called bond slaves. It, it's kind of our equivalent of going bankrupt. So imagine you're a butcher, and you've got a wife, and you have three kids. And, well, I, somehow you, you cut up a bad cow. I, I don't know. And, and you put bad beef in your case. And suddenly all of the folks that come by for their daily beef, they get sick. And word gets out, I just, boy, I had some bad beef. Me too. Man, no longer are we going to go to this butcher. Well, you've just built on a new addition because business has been great. Suddenly there's no customers. There's, there's no cash flow. And you have to shut down. And you lose everything. There's no chapter 11. There's no unemployment. There's no welfare. There's no social safety net to catch you. Your only recourse is either to go manual, do manual labor somewhere else or you could find a wealthy person within your social network and say, dude, I'm in a bad place. Can I sell myself, my wife, my family, and my household? 
give everything to you for a period of time until I can save up enough to buy back my freedom. And it was very common. And so where it was similar is that one human being owned another. So from the moment that you became a slave, you lost all rights. You, you lost the ability to be known as a normal person. And, and so you would wear different clothing. And you could be abused, you could be neglected, or even killed by your master without recourse. It wouldn't benefit them because they're using you as a profit center for their, their, their building and, and, and their estate. But yet, they could do anything they want because you've turned over all rights. What we're thinking is, and hoping is that Paul's going to step here and go, this isn't right. This isn't what it should mean to be a part. And I'm here to proclaim abolition. All slaves should be set free. This practice is over. It's against God's will and it ends today. You know, I think of some of the heroes in this struggle, guys like William Wilberforce, who worked tirelessly to undermine what's happening and to help the slaves fight against slavery. And then you have Martin Luther King Jr., who fought against the battle of segregation. And so these guys were both devout Christians that allowed themselves to drive their actions and make it their life's work. We're like, why not Paul? Well, these two lived in a time where there was a process in place to gain momentum and to have influence. In Paul's day, there was one guy on top, and his name was Caesar. All of us, all, were put under Caesar's authority. And you protest against Caesar, you die. Just imagine Paul getting together his 30 to 40 people there in this house church there in Rome. And, and they paint up signs and they go marching to the marketplace going down with slavery. In comes the soldiers and a legion of them. Take them out. Put them on crosses before sunset. So there's no way this small already persecuted minority has the power to undo and unravel the fabric of Roman society. Instead, what Paul says is going to have to happen, not from within, but from without. We're going to have to form some new communities that we change the rules. And so I'm going to plant some seeds that are going to undermine the very basis of slavery itself. So let's look at his passage that he has for us. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. He said, but I want you to obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, here's what I want you to do. Doing the will of God, think about that, from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were doing this, as if you're serving the Lord. Not people, because you know the Lord. The Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. What's the message Paul is trying to communicate? He said, if you're a slave and you've come to Christ, how you relate with your earthly master changes. So 
I want you to go over the top in your work ethic. I want you to show up early. I, I want you to work hard. I, I want you to honor them, and I want you to respect these masters. I, I, I want you to live different. Well, what's the motivation? Why would I do that? Well, why have this change of attitude and, and this change of ethic? Four times, Paul says, you're not working for them anymore. I'm not. No, you're working for your heavenly father. Every day when you walk out into the fields, every day when you walk into the shop, you're not seeing your boss. You're not seeing your master. You're not seeing him up on the porch. You see your heavenly father. And because what Jesus has done for you, it allows you to serve differently. In Romans chapter 1, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I get this. He goes, before I start writing, I need to let you know who I am. I'm a bond slave to Jesus Christ. I'm his servant. Everything I do is born out of what Jesus has done for me. I willingly turn my life over to Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for me. That's how much it impacts me. I'm willing to be a slave. My life means nothing. I've given it over to Jesus. You don't need to belong to your master. You belong to Jesus who bought you with his life and with his love. And Paul says, for you that are willingly put yourselves in as slaves, he said, if you've come to Jesus, it's going to be impossible for this gospel message to get out and, and, and to start infiltrating like it's supposed to. It's got power there, but not if you are running off from your master, not if you are rebellious to them. They're like, what's gotten into him? I, I Forget this Jesus stuff. Look how, no, I want you to show up early. I want you to sweat through your clothes, and I want you to say, yes, sir, and, and yes, ma'am, and do all these things because I want them to say, wow, what's gotten into you? Jesus Christ. That's why I'm different. Because Jesus gave his life for me, I now give my life in service to you. He doesn't stop with the slaves. Ephesians 6 and verse 9 he says, masters, do you know how subversive this is to Aristotle and what he's, you're going to talk to me as instructions for masters? Yep. Masters, I want you to treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both of their master. It, it, it's yours in heaven. And, and it's there. And there's no favoritism at all. What do you mean that we're the same? What do you think that we're equal? Paul's not flying the flag of abolitionism. And, and he's not calling for this. But he's undoing the very basis of slavery. He's like, masters, you have a responsibility. And there's instructions for how you treat those that are under your care and, and working for you in this way. He says, you don't really own them. Your heavenly Father owns you and owns them as well. 
Jesus doesn't play favorites either. And you've got to realize that. That you can't be right with God and wrong with your spouse. You can't be right with God and totally dis your your parents and disrespect them. And you can't be right with God and wrong with the slaves under your care. Paul's job was to plant churches. But he knew if he could get the Christ-filled communities to start living differently, to start submitting to one another, boy, even masters and slaves, it would change the world. So the question for us remains, what should be our response? How are we going to change our world that we saw in the news, that we're seeing in the streets around us? How do we change that world? What's our response? Number one, our faith community should overcome and disregard worldly dividers. When people come through our doors None of that matters, right? None of it matters because the ground gets level at the foot of the cross, doesn't it? We're all sinners in need of God's forgiveness and grace. And anything that this world does to divide people is that none of that matters. We get down our hands and knees at the foot of the cross because we all need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so it changes what happens within this community. And none of the distinctions that we see on television and out in our marketplace, none of that, none of that works here anymore. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 says, do you know what happened when you got baptized? He said, we're baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, who cares? Slaves are free people. They're all sitting at the table communing together. And we're all given the one spirit to drink. We're all brought into this family because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So therefore, the dividers from this world are gone. None of that matters. He goes on to tell the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 and 28. Here's what he tells them. If you're in Jesus Christ and you take him on as your Lord, you're all children of God. Every person you see that you think is different, no, they're God's children. They're your brother and sister through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself. And what have you clothed yourself with? You've clothed yourself with Jesus Christ. You've taken off these worldly dividers. And so there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. All that, that none of that matters. Nor is there male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus that's the community that we are buying into. And if you look at the, at the writings to Colossians 2, it's the same thing. He says, let me remind you of your baptism. You know, when people come and are baptized here, we kind of say the same things. You know, based on your confession, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. And so you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of what we say. For them, I think since all three of these passages are about baptism, they said, okay, we're glad you love Jesus, but here's what's going to happen. Before you say yes to Jesus, you have to say yes to a community that looks very different than outside of these house churches. We're not going to talk about Jews and Gentiles anymore. You don't get to talk about circumcision. 
Who cares? You don't get to talk about who's rich and who's poor. In fact, if you're rich, don't wear your expensive stuff here. And by if someone comes in who's affluent, don't give them a better seat. Because we don't want the poor people to feel like second-class citizens because they're not. We're all children of God. And we look different if we're a part of this community. And so in our new humanity, these distinctions and this power and these positions all get redefined and they get reallocated and, and relocated under Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that matters. Our leadership and our marriage looks different than other first century marriages and other 21st century marriages. And how we parent has to look different than what, what they're getting next door because the gospel has been infused into our lifestyle, into who we are as a people. And what Paul begins now in this final relationship starts a ball rolling down the hill that keeps gaining steam after steam. Martin Luther King says this, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. And Paul's like, I'm starting that bend now. With what power I have within these communities, we're bending the arc. And it's heading towards justice. It's heading towards equality. It's heading towards a new kind of community that's going to look drastically different. I'm undoing what you're seeing now. You just don't know it. Number two, we need to run every relationship and opportunity through the story of Jesus. You know what the most impactful thing that Paul ever wrote? Some would say Romans, others say Ephesians or Philippians. The most subversive and powerful thing that Paul ever wrote was to a slave owner named Philemon. He says, Philemon, you're a brother in Christ because I introduce you to Jesus. And, and you've got a slave named Onesimus, right, Philemon? Yeah. Yeah, he ran off. And, and he stole from me on the way out. I know. While he's out on the run, I introduced him to Jesus too. And, and I'm not going to force you to do this, but I'm going to compel you based on what I did for you through, by introducing you to Jesus. I want you to take him back. You what? I know you could send a bounty hunter out and track him down, bring him back, and punish him severely or even kill him. You have that right. But under Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to do something different with your slave. You want me to bring him back? Okay, but it's going to be hard. No, it is, in fact, the thing that drove Onesimus away was how you were treating him. And you're not going back there. And you're certainly not punishing him. You're going to treat him as a brother in Jesus Christ. Because the game has changed. The way this thing is set up is done with. I'm undoing what drove Onesimus away from you? And it's changing, not because of my words, but what Jesus has done for you. So whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your parenting, or whether it's in your relationship with your friendships, I'm calling this church to break down barriers. I'm calling us to live differently. I'm calling us to remove the hostility and the venom and the, around us because of Jesus Christ. This needs to be an oasis when people come to be among us and go, 
wow, you've got black and brown and white folks that all love each other and are called according to the same purpose. Yeah, that's the High Point family. How are y'all doing this? Because of Jesus Christ? What an opportunity we have here at High Point to be a community that's vastly different than what people get out in the marketplace. That's our calling as a church. And I'm calling each one of us to be reconcilers. I'm calling each one of us to be healers. I'm calling each one of us by everything we do in our relationships and our opportunities to point people to Jesus Christ. That's what changes because of what God has done for each one of us. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for this powerful, powerful teaching. Lord, it's so difficult seeing the mess this world's in. And Lord, we know that it's not going to get solved if by any other means than unity that comes through Christ that is portrayed and lived out by, by Christ following people. Lord, I pray that we spend time at the foot of the cross and it drives us to live differently. It drives us to break down these barriers, to put our arms around and embrace people the world says you should hate. Help us to be lovers of those around us because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.